We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Adam Krautwurst, a former Football Guys Players Championship winner and FFPC Best Ball League champion. He also finished in 5th place overall in the 2019 FFPC main event and his career winnings in the FFPC total nearly $30,000. In this episode, we'll talk about the close calls he experienced last season that could have made it even more lucrative for him, as well as break down his 2020 FFPC $250 best ball draft that just completed earlier this week. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam underscore Krautwurst. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here is $30,000 high-stakes fantasy football winner, Adam Krautwurst. 
first. Um, actually, I have to I have to catch myself here. I think this is the second uh, uh, Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown of the decade. As uh, we are recording this after Super Bowl Sunday, and joining me this week is the fifth place finisher in the FFPC main event in 2019, Mr. Adam Krautwurst. Adam, thanks so much for hopping aboard. Thanks for having me. Is this the is this the first? podcast of the of the new season the 2020 season though yes that would be accurate this is the first but because we had vince staffolino come on and give us our our ffpc playoff challenge preview the last episode so this is the first one of the of the i guess the first one of this drafting decade essentially so no pressure right. it's an honor it's an honor to be that's the way to look at it that's the way to look at it so <laughs> fifth place in the main event last season obviously um yeah. you know you kind of knew what what was at stake for you in week 16 i don't know how how good of a chance you thought you had at the half million grand prize can you tell us a, a little bit about what it was like watching that final weekend of, of football and also at the point of of last season when you realized this team that that placed fifth place overall when you realized that it had the potential to be a very special squad yeah. So, um, so yeah, man, the weekend was just insane. It's kind of everything like hope it would be, you know what I mean? It's, it's really all, all about the ride, you know what I mean? Like the money's great, obviously. And, um, but being part of the ride the whole season, the, the culmination and, and then to have such a roller coaster uh, of emotion on the final, like, uh, you know, two days is just, it's just crazy. So I think we were like, um, in 29th place, I think, heading into the final weekend. So I, we weren't really thinking first place. Um, we just wanted to, we were going to face like the top 20 with the next uh, cutoff for money. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, emotions were high. We were excited. And then, of course, naturally, so the, I think the opening weekend, uh, game Sunday kicked off with the Texans and the Bucks. And we had, you know, Will Fuller going against like the worst pass defense in like the history of football. So we're, so we're like, poor, like, all right, this is it. Will Fuller's going to win us big money. And of course he dies on like the second series of the game with a lower leg injury naturally. So, you know, we're, we're at a super, super low at that point. But then I think he was the only one who didn't uh, absolutely let it up for us. And like the whole weekend, it was just guys going crazy. And then it was funny. Cause like, so I have like three young kids and they don't care about this at all. So of course, like Sunday evening, I had to take them to go see uh, Frozen Two. <laughs> so I'm still, so I'm in the theater watching Frozen Two, playing for half a million dollars, watching Tyler Boyd on my cell phone go off for 34 fantasy points, uh, and I'm just, <laughs> and they're just like, why aren't you watching the movie? And I'm like, because I'm trying to pay for your college tuition. So, um, so, so, so yeah. So Boyd went crazy. That was exciting, and then, um. You know, then we had Goddard in the in the afternoon, Ertz and Goddard going, and we knew that Ertz and Goddard were going to be like, okay. Uh, at that point, we had gotten inside the top ten, and we were like, man, if Ertz and Goddard can both go off, which is possible against the Cowboys, we could really make a push for first. And Ertz gets hurt again in like the first quarter, I think. Um, but Goddard goes crazy for over thirty fantasy points. I think Ertz comes back and puts up like eight, eight or nine or something uh, to keep us in it. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was super exciting, and then we knew going Monday night football that we were in we were in fourth place going into or third third going into Monday night football, and the guy in fourth had cousins in us, so we knew, uh, that he was probably going to pass us. Um, and then of course we had like a spreadsheet and all the things of what could happen for us to win money and stuff like that. And um, 
and it, and it, you know we're pacing, and it all came down to uh, to Aaron Jones rushing for a 68-yard score, like with the game already in hand, and uh, that cost us like five thousand dollars, I think. Uh, yeah, I think we. So I just looked it up actually before we record. We were recording. Just and I'm and I'm not happy that I did, but we lost seven hundred point eight four to seven hundred point seven eight. I'm still waiting for like, a stat change. <laughs> so like, if yeah, if Aaron Jones would have ran for like a 59 yard score, we would we, we would have won. But instead, he ran for a 68 yard score, and we lost out on four on fourth place. So, right. but hey, I'm not going to complain about fifth. So well, and it, and, and to, to your point, you know, and, and I know the money is important, but it, it is all about the ride, you know, and 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 sometimes the ride has an abrupt ending and sometimes it 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 ends up, right. it, 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 you end up in a spot that that you wish you wouldn't have hit the brakes so much but you know such as fantasy and and that's you know how it ends up and 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 you move on and you did move on to uh drafting in this season already uh you were ju- jumped in an ffpc best ball at the 250 dollars level a couple weeks ago you told me before we started recording it actually uh, ended on monday uh this past week you ended up drawing the 10 spot in this uh in this first round uh, I'm curious as to um, number one, why did you pick a tight end there, and number two, why did you pick? Because Travis Kelsey was already off the board. Why did you go with George Kittle over Zach Ertz? Yeah, so you know I liked Kittle over Ertz going into last season too. I just think Kittle's just a little bit of a better player. I mean, they're really splitting hairs there between Kittle and Ertz. Um, and I thought the reason why I liked Kittle over Ertz last year is because. Um, I didn't think that Ertz was going to get as many targets as he did the year before. I think just the competition that got her there now, um, I think just gives a little bit of the edge to to Kittle. And I really, really wanted to get one of those um, one of those top two t- tight ends. I love kind of one of those guys down. So I didn't want to pass on Kittle or either of them, and then have neither of them make it back to me in a second. And I actually I, I wasn't ruling out a Kittle Ertz start either. So I was okay. I I do like Ertz obviously. Um, but I wasn't really out taking him in the second round. But I just like Kittle uh, with less competition at the time out there. Yeah, that I mean that is true. Uh, and and you could make the case that um that that Kittle's obviously the number one target uh, in that offense in San Francisco. I guess you could make this a similar case for for Zach Ertz yeah. as well. But with Dallas Goddard creeping up there, Kittle does not have that same. A uh, guy breathing down his neck in in San Francisco. Moving on into the second round, uh, you, you make Joe Mixon your pick there at two hundred three. And you know, looking at that pick, I, I I was thinking about how the hype train that that built for Joe Mixon last season, uh, especially when we got to peak drafting season. This is a guy that was going as as high in some of the drafts I saw at the one hundred five. He was routinely going in the early to to mid second round. After he did not return that type of value for his fantasy owners who picked him there last year, why do you think 2020 is going to be a different story and Mixon's actually going to have that bounce back year? Yeah, so I just just believe in Mixon's talent. I just think he's a very talented back, and I think everyone will. But um, I didn't have Mixon anywhere last year. I just didn't know. At that point where he was getting drafted, I was, I was most picking a receiver like the uh, late first, early second. And um, and I just didn't know about Zach Taylor and the offense and what they were going to be doing there. And it wasn't until maybe the last month or six weeks of the season where they finally started getting the ball. It was just unbelievable the last four or five weeks. So I think they finally got – they figured out 
what to do with him. Not that it's difficult because he's so talented, but uh, he's also in a, in a contract year this year. I think that's huge. Um, I think um, I think a contract year is going to motivate uh, highly someone like Mixon to play his absolute best. Um, and then uh, you know I think they're going to take a quarterback number number one, so we'll probably rely a little bit more on the on the running game and on those dump offs. And um, I love him in the second round this year for sure. If he, if he continues to go in the second, I'll probably pound him. Um, and in best balls too, I just I I prefer to just take um, I prefer to stay away from what wide receivers. So I take tight ends and running backs, especially in the tight end premium, uh, early across the board in these in these best balls. Um, that's just my draft strategy. So I was definitely uh, very happy to see Nixon there. You know, okay, so so this gets into a larger philosophical question. You are a believer that the contract year is a real thing for for um, uh, at least pro football athletes um, because this is kind of a polarizing thing. Some people believe, well, you know, th- these guys bust their tails every single year. I'm not a believer in the contract year. But for you, especially with Joe Mixon this year, this is something that fantasy owners should take a look at as to who is in a contract year because this is something that, that can really affect uh, the kind of numbers that they put up. Yeah, I think, uh, especially for a guy, especially for a running back where they get the ball so much that they can affect, um, they have a large effect in their, in their outcome. So, for example, like if it were a receiver, to me it might be less because, again, they have to get the ball thrown to, to them. If they're running back, they just have to do as best as they can with the ball and in their hands. And I think for a guy like Nixon, too, on his first contract, or I'm sorry, his first like re-sign, essentially, or his first new, new contract, uh, I think it's going to play a large part in how well he plays and how well he's prepared to to, to go. And I think as long as the Bengals just commit to giving him the, the rock, I think he's going to have a monster. You could have uh, taken any rookie running back. You had your pick of the litter at the 310 in this draft. Um, and and when you decided to go rookie running back, you went with J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. Um, uh, you know, looking at the FFPC ADP, I think there's um a big a quote unquote big three for rookie running backs this year, uh, with Dobbins, uh, DeAndre Swift from Georgia, and then uh, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. Why why did you like Dobbins better than those other two players for 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 this format? Yeah, so I don't. I don't love Jonathan Taylor as a prospect. I know he's had, you know, obviously a great career there. Um, but he's also had over 900 touches in college. And I think I, saw, I read a statistic somewhere where, um, you know, over 950 touches in college and running backs um, haven't had the greatest amount of careers or they, they wear down through. Um, so that, along with the fact that I just don't, I just don't love him as a prospect, kind of put him below the other two. Again, it's splitting hairs, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be okay. Um, and then I just, um, so I just like uh, Dobbins more than, than Swift, just slightly. And again, uh, again, it was a situation where, so I took Dobbins at uh, 310, and uh, I would have, I was considering taking Swift at, at the, the Turner, 4 2 or 4 3. So again, it's the whole Kittle Earth thing. I like them both. I just kind of had that. At this point, you don't know where they're going. They're both good backs. Flip a coin, take one. Hopefully, he gets the best better situation this year but i do like swift and i would um you know not that i want to follow this pick by pick but i am intrigued in, in your thought process as as you build this this draft fourth round you go juju smith schuster i want to come back to your fifth round pick in a second but in the sixth round you take david montgomery now, both of these guys um were big hype guys last season too uh, uh montgomery being a rookie smith schuster obviously coming off the big year 
as as the number two, and he would be the the number one guy in Pittsburgh. Now, they had disappointing seasons, um, for, I guess for different reasons. Obviously, when Roethlisberger went down, the writing was on the wall, kind of with Smith Schuster, and then Montgomery, um, you know, having to deal with Tariq Cohen and and just the fact that Matt Nagy just really seems to like to spread out the ball in in that offense, both passing and and rushing, uh, kind of worked against Montgomery. Uh, should high-stakes players be targeting, and I don't want to necessarily pigeonhole this question just specifically to Smith-Schuster and David Montgomery, but I'm, I'm trying to, and I guess Montgomery's not a great example. Smith-Schuster is a better example. But should high-stakes players be targeting guys uh, like Smith-Schuster who are proven players coming off a bad year in order to maximize your, your draft value when you're doing these early best balls? Is that a strategy that you would get behind? Uh yeah, I would I was I was shocked to see to see Juju go before. I I was seriously considering him in the third, but again in best ball I just right or wrong I had this thing I where I just don't like taking receivers early because I feel like you can stack them later. I feel like you can get receivers in the fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth round that'll pop off a long touchdown here and there can kind of throw into your starting lineup. So I usually go heavy running back early. But so I passed the Juju in the third, and it was shocked to see him there in the fourth. I think if he goes in the fourth, I, I just think there's no way he's going to go in the fourth come come August. I think Big Ben will be back. Big Ben will be healthy. Um, nothing's changed since last year other than health. You know, he was the top 10 to 15 in every draft, and um, he was hurt, and Big Ben was hurt. I mean, he, you know, hopefully Big Ben can get back and lose about 90 pounds and get back in shape and, and all that <laughs> stuff. But, but, um, but yeah, as long as I think as long as Big Ben's healthy and as long as Juju's healthy, I don't see why Juju doesn't get his 140 targets and and be and be excellent. Uh, so I thought that was uh, excellent. Like I put pass up there. David Montgomery, he was I don't know. He was more of a uh, you know a pick where again I go I go running back early. I, I lean running back over receiver early in basketball. I don't. I'm not. This might be the only team I have David Montgomery on. Uh, you know the entire season. I don't, I don't love it. I don't love his talent. But in January, I just don't know what running backs are going to touches in next September. So I know he's going to be on the team. I know he's going to be – well, I I think he's, he's going to be healthy. So I think he's going to get his 15 touches. And um, and the, the team that looked to be committed to him, even though he is, Derek McCary wasn't very good. So at this point in the draft and at this point uh, in the offseason, I just – so before we get into the second half of the show, I just want to take a little moment to tell you about our brand new sponsor. It is Bet Online. The NFL season is a wrap, but fear not, Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big, no matter what the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all the latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your futures bet on Super Bowl 2020. As myself and Sean were talking through some potential prospects there a moment ago, head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. I signed up just before the Super Bowl, got some wagers in there. I had one specifically that helped me have a very good night was for Travis Kelsey to score a touchdown and the Chiefs to win. So I was uh, really happy to get in on board with that 50% sign-up bonus and also so it's a fantastic way to help support the podcast. Once again, that code is BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Um, Kareem Hunt, 
in in the fifth round here. This is this is where I want to circle back to this. You take him at the five ten. Um, this is a guy. Now he's a free agent, obviously, but he was yeah. he, he backed up Nick Chubb uh, at the end of last season. Honestly, he really came on. He 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 was a pretty big difference maker. How do you see? Okay, I guess it's a two part question. Um, where do you? What type of role do you see for Kareem Hunt this season? And what is it about him as a player that that made you want to get him in in the fifth round here when you already had um, two running backs um, on your roster? Yeah, um, I just believe in the talent with with Kareem Hunt. I think he is a very talented back. He was amazing catching the ball. He was really good catching the ball in Kansas City, and he was excellent. He was basically like a third down back in, in Cleveland. He looked smooth. He looked explosive. He looked, he looked great doing it. It was hard to tell sometimes. Uh, and Chubb out. So I think his talent is there. Um, and I don't, I took, I made this pick assuming that he's not going to be uh, I think he's a restricted free agent, so I think a team would have to give up a pick or something. But I just, when I took him, I was taking based on the fact that he could be an absolute workhorse back somewhere. But I also took him before he, you know, got pulled over recently. Um, you know, I had open container in his car or whatever and he'd probably fail a drug test so I made the pick before that so that'll probably hurt his his stock and maybe he might have to spend another year in, in Cleveland before a team gives him a shot which would really hurt his uh, his draft stock but um, I think if he does go to another team I think the workhorse there maybe like a, a high third round so and and I guess the the question is with with Kareem Hunt, it's sort of a calculated risk taking him in the fifth round because you're of the belief that if he does go to another team, that team is going to want him to to be a three down back there. But if he does come back to Cleveland or or you know another team, that there's a chance he's in the timeshare. That's the risk you run because then he's less likely to pay off on that on that fifth round uh, price tag. Exactly. He probably uh, he probably won't pay off on the fifth round price tag if he's back in Cleveland. Um, but I'm willing to take it at this point in the in the off season. I'm willing to take a, a flyer on a guy who can who can bring back some some, some serious value. Um, we this is technically an FFPC podcast, so I'm uh, contractually obligated to bring up another tight end to to talk about here. <laughs> Um, Jay Sternberger, this is a guy that, you know, I'm, I'm a Packers fan and I, I initially, I was a little bit, um, I was nonplussed at the pick, but the more I watched this guy, um, in the preseason, and obviously he missed a huge chunk of the season, uh, you know, because he got placed on IR, but he came back, basically did nothing in the regular season, ended up catching a, a touchdown pass, uh, in the postseason against the 49ers. But I look at this Packers offense, and, and tell me if you have a, a dissimilar view, but I don't think Jimmy Graham's coming back. I, I'm still of the belief that Mercedes Lewis is going to come back to this team, and they're going to have Sternberger and Lewis as their two main tight ends, probably Robert Tanyan as, as, as the number three, and that might be it. And if that is it, Sternberger uh, should be the, the, the main pass-catching tight end in this offense. It's going to be his second year in the NFL, uh, so he's going to have the opportunity to take that big step forward. And I look at him and, and what he can do, and I think this is a steal for you in the 13th round. I think this is a guy that could threaten to be a, a top 15 tight end overall this year with FFPC scoring. Yeah, I, it was one of those picks where, like, you know, it's getting in the 13th round, all right, I'm on the clock, and I'm just looking like I didn't really have a target. I didn't have a player or position that I was looking at. And I just looked and said, oh, 
Sternberger. I, I had him in the pros versus Joe's last year, hurting this whole year, and um, he got uh, obviously scored in, in the playoffs. But then you start doing research. You know, he's a, t- a talented player. They took him in the third round, and then I was doing research. Coaches like him. Um, even Mercedes Lewis, you were talking about them bringing back. Mercedes Lewis had nothing but great things to say about him too. So, uh, yeah, I think I think Jimmy Graham's gonna get, gonna get caught. Um, you might know more about that than me. And if Jimmy Graham does get caught, uh, I, I definitely think Sternberg will be uh, the best pass catching tight end there. And that might not even make a difference because who knows what the heck who they're gonna throw to there? Because last you know last year I had Geronimo Allison and Valdez Scantling in a basketball stack, and they were completely so it's like, yeah. you never know who Roger you don't know who Rogers likes you don't know who he's going to throw it to outside of uh, you know Devontae Adams so uh, he could be the number one tight end there and it might still not be a good pick but hopefully <laughs> uh, hopefully I, th- I think he will be the number one there and I think in the 13th round of a, of a tight end premium I, I mean essentially you've mitigated your risk there I mean there is there that we um one of the guys um that we one of the first guests we ever had in the high stakes fantasy football hour, Joe Delzanero. Um, <clears throat> I think it was him who always said this. I could be wrong, and if there's another high stakes player, I'm, I'm uh, that I should be attributing to this. I, I apologize to him, but he always said there's no such thing as a bad pick after the tenth round. In other words, whoever you want to take starting in round eleven on, you know, round twenty, round twenty eight, doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a bad pick. So it's it's difficult for me to 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 see you look at this draft um, after the twenty twenty season and say, oh boy, I really I really biffed it with with Sternberger in the thirteenth because you know he's the either he's going to pay off or he's a thirteenth round pick. It's it's not that big of a deal. But I do like him. I like the upside, and I think in, to get into the whole best ball philosophy here, I think when you get to that portion of of the draft, and and you know this as a, as a best ball veteran, I feel like you really got to start looking to those home run guys and stop, you know, swinging for doubles and, and just trying to make contact. You really got to start swinging for those home runs because those home run picks and those double-digit rounds, sometimes those are the league winners. Yeah, especially, in, you know, the great thing about drafting in January is that nobody can judge you ever because, like, there's no – you can always say if it was an awful pick, you say, oh, it was, it was January. So, you know, we would only tell you. So, yeah, it's, right, yeah. you get you – get, you get, round in January, he does great, you're a, you're a genius. So, um, exactly. Just shoot for the moon, especially, you know, most of the draft company is that way anyways. But, um, but yeah, so I like I like young up-and-coming tight ends and with, with a shot to be Aaron Rodgers. Um, Adam, you, um, you uh, I have done a lot of best balls. Do you have a certain structure or pattern you like to follow as far as having a certain number of positions by, by a certain spot in the draft? Um, I, I know that you can kind of fly by your fly fly by the seat of your pants a little bit more in like a twenty round main event or football guys or whatever. Um, but I think best ball it's a little bit different because you 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 can't make any changes uh, when the season starts. I mean, whatever you end with at, at the draft, that's what you end with. So, is, is there a structure that you like to follow, or are you sort of a best player available and I'll figure out the rest as the draft goes on? Yeah. So I. Um... I'm definitely I'm usually best player available in regular drafts, but in best ball, I'm whether it's right or wrong, I'm I'm heavy. I don't want to say heavy running back in best balls early, but I'm heavy non-receiver. So I will usually lean, um, you know, running back over a receiver, even if I think the receiver early is going to have a better season than that running back. I feel like I'll make it up at the back end by taking 
receivers and like I said earlier in the 14th, 15th, 16th round that are going to have two or three um, big games like, you know, a 60-yard touchdown here, an 80-yard touchdown there, whereas it's very hard, I think, to find a running back in the 16th round that's going to, you know, pop off three or four games where they have an 80-yard touchdown or a 50-yard touchdown. So, I, and, I, and I really like to stack receiving course. I didn't do that in this draft because, again, there's so many free agents in the team yet, but usually once it gets closer, I like to stack uh, receiving course. Like last year, one of my bigs, and, and actually last year my, my stacks weren't uh, very, very good, but I had um, I did the, uh, the Texan stack with Fuller and um, I'm trying to the receiver there. Oh, Kiki QT. So I had the Fuller QT stack with Stunk, and I had uh, um, Geronimo Allison stack which stuff also a lot um but that's the type of stuff that i, that I like to do i like to stack receiving cores um so i usually go running heavy early um and that's yeah that's just the route i usually take i um i i totally agree with you and and i think that um some well we can talk about your pros versus joe's team in a second but some of the teams you know we cover these these ffpc pros versus joe's drafts Live on the on the HSFFO, or some of the things that I do I have picked up on now is is a lot of teams do like to start running backs early, uh, you know, running back heavy drafts early. Not everybody, but 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 a lot of good ones do. And then these pockets of of um, uh, of, of fantasy goodness, as I as I've called them before, where you try to you know get as many players. Nah, that's 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 not accurate. You try to get uh, a nice little stack of two or three guys from a good offense. Uh, New Orleans is always kind of a good example of that. Be- before the Michael Thomas um, uh, train hit hit New Orleans, is you could you never knew who the 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 main guy would be or the best value, so you could get two or three of those guys. Patriots receivers too. I've seen that done, um, and, and it just seems like you know when you don't know um, which guys are are going to be the guy to own, but you know the offense is going to be good. Those are the types of receiving core uh, that that you should be targeting. And I was to- listen. I was totally with you on the MVS and Allison. I thought, you know, those guys would at at worst trade off big games last season. You know, sure. every exactly. every other game, one of them should be, you know, start worthy, and none of them were. Like, there's no games. It, it never oh. happened last year where either one of those guys was and maybe MVS maybe had one early in this, but it was it was brutal. But I think by and large, that's that strategy can work. Um, and, and it worked, it obviously worked for you in pros versus Joe's. We're going to talk about this in a second, but you finished second in your league, but, but third overall, which is extraordinarily uh, frustrating uh, that you didn't get that free main event team because you had one of the best teams in the whole competition. Yeah. I'm <laughs> that, that, that hurts almost as much as the, the, the money lost in the main, main, main event. But, uh, I know to be, it was, again, that was a talk about being part of the ride. It was great to kind of, um, to kind of follow that with the other two guys, because uh, there was, I think there was another, there was a third guy, I think that was in the top five overall as well. I'm going to try to get uh, Fantasy Mojo and Darren O'Malley to lead back next year. <laughs> there's some unfinished, there's some unfinished business in that in that uh, Pros versus Joe's league. So, um, but but yeah, that was exactly. So again, I thought I nailed. I was so happy to get that stack, that Tuxin stack. And that, um, you know, that Geronimo Allison, uh, Valdez Scantling stack. And I, on accident, I ended up with, I wasn't planning on this, but I ended, also ended up with, you know, Sternberger and Jimmy Graham and Aaron Jones. I had like a whole Packers offense. So, right. Well, it ended up working out because Jones was, oh, and I had Jamal Williams. I'm looking at it too. So Jamal Williams popped in some, some games here and there too. So, 
Uh, but yeah, that was super exciting. Um, but that stack worked also. And kind of speaking, kind of to backtrack to the last question too, um, kind of a shout out to Darren Armani and Fantasy Mojo. They do a great job with um, strategy, kind of how to how to figure out what you want to do in each draft. And they, you know, they put out stuff like you know the percentage winners of people who took like you know two tight ends early. And so I do a lot of my drafting later in the season based on you know if you took seven receivers, seven running backs, three tight ends, three quarterbacks. So I, as this as the preseason gets gets going, I start to kind of model my drafts after what has been successful in the past, and they do a great job of putting those uh, stats and numbers on them. Um, when, you, uh, w- when you're drafting these best balls early, um, a- Adam, do you see um, – drafters making mistakes the same mistakes over and over again or at least mistakes that that should be voided when when you're drafting this early is is there something that you are able to capitalize on with some of these guys uh not doing the quote-unquote right thing when when they're on the clock yeah i don't know if there is a a right thing especially this early but i just i i think that sometimes players don't take out risks especially this early on january you know take some take some rookies take some free agents take some lottery tickets you know some guys that you just don't know where they're going to go or um, what they're going to do. But, you know, you're in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round, you might get, um, you know, a first round running back depending on like, the spot and stuff like that. So this early in the offseason, no one really knows anything or where players want to go. Take some shots. Like I think it's a Robbie Anderson in this draft too. You know, I, I believe in Robbie Anderson's talent. And uh, if he goes to the right team, he could, he could be an excellent player. So, you know, I like to take shots on guys like that, and I feel like sometimes, especially early in the offseason, we kind of have, um, we kind of just take the names that we know or the guys who just are recently biased. They just did really well in the fantasy playoffs or something, or in the NFL playoffs. And I you know, and it's one of those things too. Where it's like you're you're not drafting for 2019. You're drafting for what these guys are about to do, not what they just did. And I think sometimes people, myself included, have a difficulty kind of divorcing 29. You know, the, well, at least the previous season with the current season with what you know when you're drafting. And I think that's very difficult. And I think the best drafters, um, you know, who are who are doing leagues this early. Uh, they they've been successful at that, and and if you're able to do it, that you know the quicker you're able to do it and move on to next year without sort of getting caught up in the hype train, I I, I think that that you know the better off your teams are going to be by and large uh, for the majority of the season. Uh, Adam, one last question bef- before I let you go this week here uh, on the HSLD, um, a player that you are are planning on avoiding at this early juncture in the early rounds of FFPC drafts. And then a player that, uh, when it gets to be the mid late to mid to late parts of, of drafts, a player that you're actually going to be targeting. Yeah. So right now, I looked at uh, some ADP so far. Um, I think the guy I'll be avoiding, especially if he stays here, is going to be Derrick Henry in the first round. Um, he had a historically uh, unbelievable season, considering he only caught like 18 passes. I think it's very hard for a running back to finish as high as he did in this day and age. Have 18 catches. Um, he scored 18 touchdowns, so I think that's going to regress a little, a little bit. So um, I don't know. I, I want my running backs, especially in the first round, to catch passes and score, score touchdowns. Um, and he doesn't catch passes. I don't think. Um, I just don't think at this point he's definitely going to be a pass catcher. So I'll probably avoid avoid him. Um, and then as far as guys in the mid rounds, that targeting um we talked about juju 
Um, I'll, I'll take Juju in the fourth round every season. I don't think he's coming to August, but um, some two guys, two guys that I'm looking at kind of later in the draft or mid mid draft. Um, and I again, I think we're contractually obligated to talk about two tight ends, but um, absolutely, Johnny Smith. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Johnny Smith, and Mike Gesicki. I think those are two guys where, you know, they're young, they're up and coming. There's, I think, um, Gesicki just started to figure it out last year with Fitzpatrick really forcing him the ball there. I don't know if Fitzpatrick will be started there next year, but I think Gesicki finally started to show that he belongs in the NFL. He had some great games. Um, and Johnny Smith, he's just so, he's so exciting to see him with the ball. He was mad well, they cast him more. And I think both of these guys, I think uh, Gesicki went in the eighth and about the draft I just recently did, and Johnny went in like the 13th or something. And I think if you can get yourself a nice early elite tight end, like one of the top three or top four tight ends, and then kind of get one of these high upside guys in the mid-round, I think one of these guys could it could explode for uh, for a monster season. So I'll probably end up with a lot of Johnny and like Gesicki. Adam, I lied. One last question. Um, when, you, when you talk about the elite tight ends, last year there was the big three – of Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle. Is that the same again this year? Is there a big three, or does it extend further down? Yeah, I think it's still the big the big three. Um, you know, uh, Austin Hooper is a free agent. Hunter Henry is a free agent also. So I guess depending on where they go might change the outlook on them. I just don't know offhand if they would move them up into those top three. Because really with the tight ends, it's about, you know, are you getting the targets? You need to be in offense. I don't see Mark Andrews creeping up there. Um, so yeah, to me, it's still right now, it's still the big three, but I think the next level, the next tier is deeper than it was last year. You know, you got Cooper, who was the number one, you know, fantasy tight end, I think, uh, until, until he got the first of the year there. Uh, Mark Andrews, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, Darren Waller, you know, I think that's a nice, a nice group of, a nice group of second tier guys. For me, I'm still leaning towards the elite ones if I can get one of them. Um, but yeah, I, th- I still think it's three right over there. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you too. I think it's those three, and I think if if I if I can afford it, I'm, I'm going to try to target uh, one of those three guys. But if I miss out, I won't feel too bad on uh, you know the consolation prizes that await me with you know Hooper and Henry and and Waller and Andrews and everybody like that. Um, certainly not a consolation prize on the high stakes lowdown this week. Uh, always a treat to talk to Adam Krautwurst, uh, the fifth-place finisher in the FFPC main event last year. I know you um, are hoping for even bigger things, even though the, the run you had last year was quite magical. I know you're hoping for bigger things uh, in 2020. I wish nothing but the best for you. Good luck in all those drafts, and we'll talk again soon, man. Hey, thanks so much, Eric. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage rotoviz.com slash podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.